So I'm sitting here thinking about the film that we're discussing this week. It's that thing you do. It's written, directed, starring, produced, I don't know, pretty much everything done by Tom Hanks. And I'm just sitting here thinking about all the work that he did to make this movie. It's, I mean, it's not a masterpiece. It's not, you know, one of the great films like Citizen Kane or, or you know, Attack of the Clones or anything. But it's still an achievement. It's one of those movies that makes you feel those warm, fuzzy feelings that the great movies make you feel. It has a look to it. It has a sound to it. It has this feeling to it that uh, is kind of unique and special and warm. And I'm trying to think, how am I going to compel to our audience this week how special this film is? And I think that's the best I can do is just say, this is a special movie. It's got the touch of an artist from a person who cares, a person who wants to make you feel, and a person who wants to make you laugh and make you enjoy life, uh, if just for an hour and 42 minutes. And I think that's the best we can hope for with films on this show, is we want to feel something. Sometimes we want to think, but ultimately we want to feel something. And most of the time it's because we feel something really crappy, especially this year. But this is a movie that's made me feel special and it's made me feel good after I've watched it. So hopefully you've seen it. Uh, If you haven't, go watch it and then come back and listen to it because this is a special film. The Oneidas. It's the wonders.
just for the taste of it. Diet Coke. Yeah. Um, what are you joining their marketing team or are we doing? No, I believe that was promo. Was that Ray Charles? I think it was Ray Charles that did it. Mm, Nope. Stevie Wonder? That did a Coke commercial? Or that did Coke? No, that did a Coke commercial. Just for the taste of it. And then he smiles. Diet Coke. You know, when you got it right, you got it right. Whether you're talking about this. Or whether you're talking about the one and only Diet Cola that does it for Ray. Diet Pepsi. You know, nothing tastes as good to me as Diet Pepsi. Right. But also wrong. Um, I I almost guarantee that it's one of the two famous blind pianists. Why did they have to be blind? No, I just I mean because I know it's one of the two of them. Okay, there's not just two blind pianists. There's more than one. No, but there's two extremely famous blind pianists. That's that also sing. That's a good point. Uh, do you want to do a podcast or do you want to just talk about blind pianists? Wow, the way we say pianists know, gets really close to to the naughty word. We are a romance podcast. The naughty romance <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll do a podcast. Who are you? <laughs> you know what, what are we here to talk about? I'm Ryan Graves. And I'm Kelly McCurlis, and you're listening to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms with the Rom-Com Gents. Yeah, like, I just I'm, trying it on for, I'm trying it on for size. The rom-com gents. I like it. Let us know how you feel about it. How about the big tippers? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I keep going back to the herdsman. The quotes are just going to keep on coming tonight. I've got a good game for you, and I'm positive that I'm going to get you stumped this time. Because uh, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, the last time we played, it was way too easy. Uh. <laughs> and so I've doubled down the... <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I've doubled down the difficulty, and I made it IMDb trivia proof because it's just a deeper dive. Because I'm I'm predicting that you, after watching that thing you do, went to IMDb and looked through its trivia page. Did you not? You Are, caught me red-handed. I did. Um, but I, you know, it wasn't in prep for anything. Right. Um, okay, I'm gonna make you a deal though. Uh-huh. Every every one I get right. Yeah. I get to do. The Jeff Goldblum laugh again. Okay. Right in your ears. Can we throw in the original just so people have a frame of reference? (laughs) Okay. So the theme of this quiz is, you know Tom Hanks, we're in Friends too? So. Wait, what? (laughs) I don't even understand the premise. This game, we are going to take people who were in That Thing You Do. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm going to ask you what other movie they were in with Tom Hanks. Okay. And and in order to get the question right, you have to get both parts right. What other Tom Hanks movie were they in? Mm-hmm. And what episode of Friends were they in? Are you kidding me? I will start you off. You don't have to name the one. You don't have to say the, the one, one with. Okay. You just have to describe the episode that they're in and the character that they play. Well, this should be real quick because I didn't know any of these people were also in Friends. Okay. No. Well, let's let's <laughs> let me start you off with one that I think will be easy. Okay. Giovanni Ribisi. He plays a very important. Oh, okay. Character well, in he he plays um, Phoebe's brother, mm-hmm. um, who also is 
married to the mom from that 70s show whose yeah. name I can't remember right Right, now. and he does what for Phoebe, or Phoebe does what for him? Oh, she has his babies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, but what other Tom Hanks movie? Yeah, in order to get this first question right, you have to say what other Tom Hanks movies he's in. Apollo 13? No. Oh. And he's in Saving Private Ryan. Oh, totally. He dies. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody oh, sorry, dies. spoiler alert. Everybody dies in that movie. It's I mean, fine. it starts in World Tom War II. Tom Hanks dies in that movie. It starts in World War II. It ends in 1998. So they pretty much all die. Yeah, then. most of the people were probably dead. Because anyways. Matt Damon has his scene at the end and then he's dead. Wait, he dies on, on the... No. He's at the green and he's like, I've been to the grave. I can go die now. He salutes and falls into <laughs> his grave. And then his family is all there and they're like, you still were a good man. And the Undertaker was like, that was easy. <laughs> okay. The Undertaker is also his assassin. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Question number two. And this... So, so was it extra credit? No, it's... You gotta have... I have to get both? You have to have both. You have to get both right. And this... My honor! So this one, uh, I'm gonna do Steve Zahn. I'm gonna preface Steve Zahn and say, I know you know one other Tom Hanks, Steve Zahn one. And that's why you have to tell me two Steve Zahn, Tom Hanks collaborations. Okay, well... I'm going to say the first one is You've Got Mail. Yep, there you go. Um, There's one other one, and I really don't think you're going to get it. Okay, is it a movie I've seen? I don't, I don't think so. But it exists, and so therefore it counts. Okay, it's... It is a major studio film. Can I ask for... A, is it a Tom Hanks movie? Is it a Tom Hanks vehicle? I'll give you a big clue. It's a Hanks vehicle. Oh, so it's done by Playtone, probably. Maybe. Okay. Um, I'll even I'll give you I'll throw you another um, Mr. Goodbar. Um, it's got a Colin Hanks in it. It even stars a Colin Hanks, and it's not Orange County. Uh, just so that we can get it out there, Saving Silverman. <laughs> no, but it's a good guess. Thanks. It's uh, the Great Buck Howard. I knew that was a movie. You remembered that coming out. It's yeah. really a John Malkovich film, but Tom Hanks is in it, and Steve Zahn is in it pretty pretty predominantly. Okay, cool. So, No, this is edutainment for me. Thanks. Uh, can you tell me the Friends episode that he's in? No! Oh, come on. Just I want you to think, think about it for just a minute. Okay, I'm trying to think of whether he's dated... Um, I'll give you a clue. He's I've, in season one. I feel like he would have gone on a date with either Monica or Phoebe... Um, going, you're warm. Did he? Maybe it's not season one. It's it's either season one or two. Very early. Did he work at Monica's restaurant? No, he was a performer. Oh wait, did he also perform at the coffee shop? No. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Steve Zahn was Phoebe's secret Canadian husband. Oh, that's right. He now did I remember. ice capades. He was gay and he needed a green card marriage. And he shows up to Phoebe's doorstep to get a divorce because that's it right. turns out that he's actually straight. Yeah. And, and they share a kiss up. at one point in time. Yeah, it's a that's very right. sweet episode. Yeah. No, completely forgot about that. Yep. There you go. Okay. All right. The last one. You've also, Ryan has seen Friends all the way through about 20 more times than I have. No, that's not true. Yes, you've, it is true. You've seen them way more. You own all the DVDs. Yeah, but you watched I probably them. watched it all you the way. You were with me. I probably watched it all the way through twice or three times. No, no, it's okay. I'll get this one. I'll I'm, surprise you. I'll you. surprise okay, you. Okay, good luck. All Please right. say Rita Wilson. Playing. Nope. Damn it. <laughs> 
playing the role of Lamar, the oh. hotel owner, is Oba Babatunde, yeah. which is the greatest it's name It's one of the greatest names. Ever. Oba Babatunde. This is my hotel. What film was he in with Tom Hanks and what episode of Friends okay. was he in? Well, um, man, because it could be a film like... I, I know around this time there were a lot of like crossovers for Tom Hanks films because he was just bringing a lot of people with him. Um, it's probably not from the Earth to the Moon. It's it's not a film. It's a mini series. Well, yeah. Um, I'll give you a clue. The film in question uh-huh. is directed by someone who cameos in that thing you do. Oh, uh, you give up? Are you thirsty for more? Do you have another clue? <laughs> uh, this is hard trivia. Uh, um, Who I'll directed just, the movie? No, that's... You can't... I just gave you the clue. I can't refine the clue to not being a clue. I'll give you one more clue. It's a movie from the 90s. Which means a lot of films, but... Yeah, especially for Tom Hanks. Um, well, I know it's not Forrest Gump, then. Do the process of elimination. Not Forrest Gump, because it's directed by Robert Zemeckis. It's not, not Splash. Because that's from the, <laughs> the 80s. 80s. 90s films. Not Saving Private Ryan, because that was directed by Spielberg. What else was in the 90s that was a big thing for Tom Hanks? That was a big deal. Philadelphia. There you go. Oh, Jonathan Demme, who plays the uh, director of the uh, Beach Blanket Bingo scene. There you go. Yeah. The Shrimp Shack Shooters. Yeah. Yeah. Captain okay. Beach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Jonathan Demme is also in an episode of Friends where he plays the director of the movie that Rachel's cast in? Or the, no, that Monica gets cast in? Is that true? What? Remember where they're <laughs> both up for like a part in a movie? No. Aren't they? I think you dreamed this episode. No. Are you thinking of the one where Joey is going up for the role in the commercial and he's with no. Ross's son? Isn't there an episode where Rachel and Monica are like both like they go to a fi- oh they go to a film set and somebody thinks that one of them's like super hot and everybody thinks it's going to be Rachel but it actually ends up being Monica. Doesn't she fall in love with Jonathan Demi? Not Jonathan Demi. <laughs> Damn. But Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is so much more attractive than Jonathan Demi. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're on your phone, please Google Jonathan Demi. And then no, please, please Google, Google. Please Google Jonathan Demi versus Jean-Claude Van Damme. See what happens. Uh, Jonathan Demi, rest in peace, is not as beautiful a man as um, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Although, but a much better director. Although I would much rather spend an evening with Jonathan Demi than Jean-Claude Van Damme. I mean, not now, because he's dead. Right, but if I was in heaven and I had, and they're like dinner for two, and it's like, oh, who's your plus one? I'm like Jonathan Demi. Your wife's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dinner. Oh, it's just dinner. Okay, it's just dinner. Um, well, you stumped me. What? What's What's Jonathan Demi and then friends? No, no. Oba oh, Oba Baba Tunde. Oh, um, I don't know. I have no idea. He is in the episode where Joey's auditioning for the Broadway show, and he is the dance director where he uh, leaves Joey behind to teach all the other actors to do the dance, and he does that like cool guy dance, and he's like, uh, oh, no, 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 no. I don't... <laughs> uh, to quote Gandalf, I have no memory of this place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an obscure one. I think it's like season 
Did you have to look that up? Five. No, he's like one of my favorite like friends guest stars. Cool. He's just very funny because he does the he does he goes hand hand head head you remember that part yeah i do actually know now yeah. you know what i'm talking about he feels like he's doing a um a robin williams and type jazz, hands. jazz hands um yeah well that was a fun game i feel great shame but it well, was a fun game i told you i had to be oh, much harder oh okay whenever we do trivia i think this should be the name of the game a good game or a great shame a good game a great shame is a great name thanks uh i will give you extra credit points Mm. You have to wait. This is how I earn back my honor. Yeah, I want two other. We already named one cameo. We did Jonathan Demay, who, uh, guys, if you don't know, directed Silence of the Lambs, Stop Making Sense, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, mm-hmm. one of the great filmmakers who died way too soon. Yeah, um, Gosh, Rachel, so underrated. Married. Let's see. Give me two other cameos. Okay. We've got uh, Brian Cranston playing yep. Gus Grisham. Yep. Uh, who is also, he plays, I don't know if he plays Mattingly in, who does he play in From the Earth to the Moon? He plays another actor in, from, in cool. from the Earth to the Moon. Really cool. And. Oh, three, and we'll call you a winner. Okay. Okay. There's um, uh, Bosom's Buddy Buddy. Um, he plays Todd Chesterfield. I need the name. Rob Scaleri? Scalera? Nope. nope. Jim Scolari? Nope. I'm sorry. You have lost the bonus point. Jim. Jim. Peter Scolari. Peter Scolari. Robin is slamming her head into the She's desk like, no, right Kelly, now. no. It's like one of her, her fave shows. Uh, one more. What, what was, uh, okay. Um, You'll mm. feel really dumb for not remembering if you can't remember this guy. As just a cameo. Yeah, just a cameo. Was in Apollo 13 with him. Well, everybody. <laughs> Um. Oh, uh, Ron Howard's brother, and his name <laughs> Chuck Howard. Clint. Damn, it's Clint. Clint Howard. Oh, so close. <laughs> um. Oh, I just thought of Peter Scolari. Yep. And then secret cameo number five, which I don't five four. four. I'm not even sure if it counts as a cameo or this guy just auditioned, but the. Other radio DJ is Paul Feig. Who oh, direct, really? Who directed Bridesmaids, Freaks and Geeks. A bunch of uh, the Office episodes. The Heat, Office episodes. One of Jad Apatow's most trusted directors. Yeah. Um, are there any others? Were there any other? You were really good at catching uh, actors that uh, pop up. I mean, Charlize Theron's there for yeah, a for few a second. She was actually the first person cast in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, nah. Well, maybe we'll run across them as we talk about the movie. I mean, kind of a subversive cameo. It's not subversive, but it's like a hidden cameo. Is that that thing you do was written by the frontman of Fountains of Wayne? Right. Uh, Adam Schlesinger, who mm-hmm. died this year of COVID, yeah. actually. He was, um, him and Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson all got it kind of at the same time. And he yeah. was the one who didn't make it. Yeah. So rest in peace. Yeah. Thank you for bringing us Stacy's mom as well as like, he, he was also like a producer and he wrote a bunch of songs. Um, yeah for like different studios which is cool very talented yeah Um, that's a bummer okay thanks for playing my game yeah thanks for demolishing me in your game that was really fun (laughs) oh you just wait until next week i i'm excited i'm really excited well since we've kind of like introed that thing you do which i don't even know we watched that thing you do this week why don't you tell me a story buckaroo let me tell you a story tell me a story turk let me tell you a story about love d'artagnan ask about love 
Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. I think. I think what we can do here is just like a Pokemon, just capsule it, just <laughs> just put put a tiny story in this tiny ball. Oh, you want a you want a logline? Yeah. Uh, so a young band in Erie, Pennsylvania in 1964. Oh, come on, bring it home. Shoot to sk- skyrocket mm. to fr- fame. Yep. And alongside their um charismatic manager, Colin Tom Hanks. But tensions rise when their star singer, Jonathan Gage, uh gets pigheaded. Then Liv Tyler kisses someone. The end. Home run. Touchdown. <laughs> we got it. Woo! We got it. Sold we in the room. Um, yeah, that's basically the movie. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I would call this almost a historical. It's combining two things that two of our favorite writers love. Tolkien loving history and Lewis loving allegory, and it mm. kind of marries them. Uh, yes, okay. yes, like um, like peanut butter and chocolate and jam. Wait, that's too many things. <laughs> but you got you got the the story of the one hit wonders. Hey, that's on netters. Yes, right. Which is just all of the bands that came from the fifties and sixties. That I mean, that that it's still, still happens all the time today. Yeah. Where somebody makes a hit and whether like the like there's a, a a million reasons why a band doesn't make it maybe they're just not that good and that was all the juice that they had in them or they don't get along or they just really got together to make a record and then they all had other lives i don't want to sidetrack you but have you ever looked up some of your one the one hit wonders from the 90s and like see if they've done anything else oh for sure isn't it fascinating when you're on spotify and you're like Wait, this band is still making records uh-huh. and there's they seem to have fans that will support them. They're I'm, not famous anymore, but I wouldn't be surprised if some people were like, "Oh, Fountains of Wayne, Stacy's mom." Stacy's mom has got it going on. And don't know any of their other songs. Yeah, oh, sure, for sure. But there was it was someone like not Fastball, but it was some other 90s band like lit or someone like that that was like wait fastball who did the song about the people who leave home sure the, the parents who leave home and leave their kids and worries behind them or something like that i don't no, i don't know yeah but, well no but it's like that one song that you can yeah. just be like oh i remember them because they did that but there's like a secret category where it's like the one hit wonders that nothing dramatic happened to them they just never made another hit song but they're right. still together and they're still playing music and somehow they're making a living Right. It's like um, maybe they'll unfreeze them every once in a while to go on tour and play their song. Yes. Yeah. I would love to go to a third eye blind Oh, yeah, but third eye blind has like like six, six one hit ones. Yeah, six one hit Well, see, they, they had like two years in the 90s where they were just killing it. And then and then nothing. Yeah, and so uh, that, I mean that's one thing, and then also we kind of get the history of 
of like what music was in America in 1964. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where you had like the old 1950s crooners still singing along with bands like the Supremes, uh, as well as like Mm -hmm. basically um, Beatles redos that are are not making it like the Beatles, but are more like um, small products picked up by record labels. And that's our band, the uh, Oneaters. The Oneaters. We should also mention this is our inaugural series, episode in the series of not quite a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Because we must confess, you got us, it's not quite a rom-com. Go ahead and stop that tweet 64 <laughs> characters in. You don't. We'll already cop to you've it. You've added us already. Uh, this movie it feels, though, and I think it all has to do with kind of the the how the movie ends and the through line element of Guy and Faye. And and the tone. Right. There's something about the tone that is just a warm hug. As as um, Mr. White would say, I want something happy, something some peppy. Peppy. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it kind of feels both lovable, but fast and quippy. Um, and I think that's all part and parcel due to Tom Hanks's direction and his writing. Yeah, so we should also just mention Yowza, Tom Hanks wrote, directed, co-starred in this movie. Way to go. Like, he's done this and uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, right? Not at all. No, no, <laughs> no. Not what, him. No, Thomas, no, what is it? Larry, Larry Crown. Crown. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Okay. Larry Crown. The Larry, um, the Larry, Larry Crown, Crown Affair, Affair with Julia Roberts. Um, <laughs> he's going to buy some furniture. But it, it's surprising. Like, why... Um, why has he done so few? I, I guess he doesn't need to direct. Maybe it's not something he's super passionate about. But who boy, like I want to see more. I think he's the kind of director where it just he needs the right story to do it, and you don't want him going out. And I haven't seen Larry Crown. I'm curious, but I haven't heard glowing things. things. Maybe it's this. Apparently, he wrote this movie while he was bored and touring Forrest Gump. Uh, right. Yeah. So. Maybe he just hasn't been bored since 1995. It's a very common tale. I, I, I would imagine that he, if he doesn't, if he doesn't want to f- stop doing things, he doesn't have to. Like somebody's always on the phone for Tom Hanks because he's Hollywood's dad. I thought he did Greyhound, but apparently not. He wrote Greyhound. He wrote Greyhound. Mm-hmm. Who directed Greyhound? Your mom. It's funny that she's never given you a job. <laughs> um, so he's done all this other producing, but that's... we've got Band of Brothers, right? He's he's a creative producer where he's like, I want to see this thing made. I know how it's going to want to look. I'll hire all the directors to do my directing for me, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's I feel like I don't know about you, but I feel like it's a fifty-fifty shot when an actor jumps into the directing chair. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, sometimes it's glorious, like Clint Eastwood, way better as a director. Well, he's a good actor, but his films that he directed, like Unforgiven, which I still need to show you, which is weird because you're the Western guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just watched. I don't think so. I think he, I've seen more Westerns because I was raised in a family that liked watching Westerns, but you like the genre more than I. What? Yeah. We had a, a talk about you. I've seen like three Westerns. I know. And you wouldn't shut up about them. <laughs> but you're deal. right it's like every once in a while an actor jumps in the chair and just does gold i would even say it's like like i mean because you're an actor right and you're you're on set 
a lot. You know how to talk to actors because you know how you want to be talked to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is all you need if you're surrounded by, you know, talented filmmakers. And sometimes you also have a good vision as well. And I think that's where like the rubber meets the road is not only being able to like have a, a step forward in the game by already knowing how to speak to actors and get what you need from them. Yeah. But also like if you, if you bring a good vision and like actually care about the technical aspects of your film. Mm. Sometimes it's really annoying and I don't have any contemporary examples, but the, when it can go bad, it usually goes bad in the, the, the same direction every time where they're thinking too much from an actor's perspective where mm-hmm. they're thinking, finally we get to do what the actors want to do and we're not tethered by like all these other things where the director is not you know giving us a chance now i'm really going to let these actors like really go for it because all these other directors never trusted us before hold on this is the ad from the corner hey we didn't make our day again (laughs) (laughs) and the best example of the worst version of this is i just watched a terrible film one of the worst films I've ever seen. Whoa. Uh, them's, them's strong words. Directed by Jack Nicholson. Ooh. One of the greatest actors. And for me, for me personally, one of the greatest actors mm-hmm. of all time. Um, one of my favorite movies is The Last Detail, starring Jack Nicholson. So what movie Directed was this by that? Hal Ashby. The one he directed is called Drive, he said which he made in like 1971. He wasn't quite a superstar yet, but he was respected. He was in Five Easy Pieces. He was an easy writer. Uh, people knew him. He was so, definitely coming up. Soon to be last detail in Chinatown. Yeah. yeah. Like once Chinatown happened, he was a superstar. But I mean, at that point in time, you got to like experience goes a long way. And at this point in time, Tom Hanks had been on quite a few major motion pictures. Yeah. Uh, well, I just, my main point for bringing that movie up is it's all these performers that are doing the Jack Nicholson thing of like crazy out there performances, mm-hmm. but no narrative, mm. no storytelling. Mm. And that thing you do, it's, it's just, everything is blended everything perfectly. Yeah. The music is wonderful. The mm-hmm. writing is wonderful. Uh, the editing is really quick and snappy, like a good pop song. Yeah, it really is. Like, uh, Tom Hanks really cared about all of the, uh, you can see all the details and for an actor who to care that much about like making the world seem like it is 1964. Like mm-hmm. when, when you walk into that appliance shop, it's everything feels like 1964. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am. Do, do you want to talk about money here? Yeah, I love money. Okay, um, I want you to give me a figures guess. Time to talk about that curvy figure of this movie's budget. Oh, nineteen nineties production, major studio. Not any big name actors. Tom Hanks probably took a pay cut. Um, twenty million dollars. 26 it was close it was a very good very good guess but there are some movies that we've seen with big name actors yeah that have i mean they didn't need to do barely any set deck at all they didn't need to worry about like building a world or making costumes or like having tons of different stages in different you know state fairs or millions of extras Mm -hmm. you know and and this movie has all of those things and even though it was the 90s that 26 million dollars was stretched a long way in order to make this movie yeah money well spent all across the board and i think Oftentimes when we're looking at rom-coms, especially rom-coms in the 90s and early 2000s, we see movies that look 
respectable, right? Mm-hmm. Respectable is like the baseline for a good rom com. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's it's a veneer where they're like, we want you to feel comfortable. Thus, we're going to not have anything distract you, whether it's like grittiness of low budget film or maybe like um, CGI. We're not going to spend money there. We're just going to spend money making this movie look as perfectly like tuned as possible. And that's what this movie does as well. Yeah. And like the holiday does it. But somehow that thing you do feels even more like personable. Mm-hmm. And like Nancy Myers feels professional. It, it kind of like you said, you compared the holiday to walking into a showroom at one point in yeah. time. Um, this movie feels like you're walking into like at different points in times, like your buddy's house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the feeling you get in this film. Okay. You know what's creepy is film came out in 1996, mm-hmm. set in 1964. Mm-hmm. That's a 32 year difference. I was born in 1988. It is 2020. That's a 32-year difference. So basically, when that came out, it was about the same relative difference of an era. And if we wanted to make a That Thing You Do period piece, we would be making a movie. And that's one about of the... About 1990 or 1988. About 1988. And that's one of the scripts in my head is that I really want to make a movie from 1988 uh, or uh, era, mm-hmm. the late 80s, early 90s. And it's just kind of like, for me, I'm like, that doesn't feel so long ago. But when I watch that thing you do, I'm like, that was ages ago. That was ancient times. Well, Tom Hanks is 40 in this film. Yeah. Um, so, he so, was like, so you have a couple years before you can make that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this this romance, okay? The yeah, driving romance. I guess we'll have to work backwards because the romance isn't really th- a thing until the last... I mean, it's not overt until the last five minutes. It's not overt, but I want to kind of set up how it works um, because we have all of our characters. We have um, our main character, I would say, Guy, who mm-hmm. is the drummer, who I assume that you love not only because Tom Everett Scott is great in this role, but yeah. also because you're a drummer. Yeah, very. I mean, this movie came out when I was in like fifth grade and I was becoming a drummer. And so this was one of my like idol films. Like, uh-huh. so this is who I'm supposed to be. You're like, okay, it. I have to get a hi-fi system. And I have to play a record and then I have to jam on top of that record, which you've done. Yep. I've heard you do it. Yep. Ryan's a great record player, guys. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, he's a good drummer too. Yeah. Um, the Okay. So we have him and then we have like the band, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is Jimmy Mattingly, who is... James Madeline the second. James Madeline the second, named after a um, an astro- astronaut or an astronaut who's from Australia. Mate. Astronaut. I want to. <laughs> where's Australia's version of NASA? <laughs> well, we're launching from Melbourne, but we'll land in the didgeridoo. Sorry, Australia. Why, so, so why did you travel there from Liverpool? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and then we have Lenny Hayes, also named after an astronaut, but played by. Steve Zahn. Who is one of the greatest, greatest, greatest actors that I think is underrated. Yeah, he's so special. You've met him. Rachel's met him. I haven't met him. I don't know what my problem is. You'll meet him one day. He's uh, like a nice, nice person in person, but I I feel like he is just perfect at comic relief. And comic timing. And Yeah, no, like he's just, you're right. He's just a special actor, and I... I, I want to see him in more vehicles aimed at Steve Zahn. I mean, he he's always under the radar. He has so many credits, but there's a lot of Steve Zahn movies. We just forget that he shows up and he just is not in it enough. Like he's in You've Got Mail for like 
a a measly measly ten minutes, and it just it's like we want more, we need more. Or he's playing second fiddle to like Matthew McConaughey and like Sahara, right? Um, Same in like Saving Silverman. I would love to see Steve Zahn in a film now, or like maybe in ten years, where it's just like this the Zahnessance, where. Oh. Where he just does something super serious. Yes. And like it just plays against type. Yes. I'd love to see that. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. 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 <laughs> and so we got him and then we have Ethan Embry playing. The bass player. T. His literally doesn't have a character name. T.B. Player. I don't get this. I don't know why he doesn't have a name. No, it's because, I mean, it's the movie poking fun of like bass players just being kind of anonymous stand-ins. I mean, they are, and I'm so glad that only the drummer's in the room because people are either going to poke fun at the drummer yeah, uh-huh. or p- poke fun and at the bass And they couldn't do that player. because the drummer was the main character of this The one. drummer was cool. The joke about drummers is with girls, they say the drummer gets the dog. I'm like, hey, man, I've been with no one, so you're wrong. <laughs> the drummer gets no one. Drummer gets no one. Drummer goes home and watches Star Wars. I, I know the, the joke about drummers. Lay it on me. All right. What's what's the difference between a, a drummer and a um, a large pizza? A large, I don't what one can feed a family of four. <laughs> very very funny. It's not a funny joke. It's a lame joke. I'm just prepping for being a bad dad. Uh, a bad dad. A good dad has bad dad jokes. Um, so you have the bass player. Yes, and and then you you originally had um, the original drummer played by. Oh, Giovanni Ribisi. Yes. Who plays Chad. Who injures himself doing something I would probably do. You've done this before. Which is, yeah, jump over a parking sign. I wouldn't do it anymore. I'm too old. Well. In in my, how old are these kids? They're like 23, 24. Yeah, because um, Guy, we find out, was in the army at one point in time. Yeah, I feel like he did. He was stationed. I feel like he did two years in the army. That's my guess. Two to four. We don't know. My guess is he graduated high school. This is my headcanon. Graduated high school, did his two years of service just as kind of like a badge. Just like, I bet his family was a military family. Yeah. And like, he's like, all right, I'll do two years. And it's like post-World War II. So there's Well, not... it's post-Korea, more importantly. Right. So and there's not pre-Vietnam. Much, there's not much to do. He was in Germany. Yeah. Vietnam wasn't, there weren't really using troops before 63. Yeah. So. I, I, he would have been out by then, it seems like. Yeah, he would have been there before pre-Kennedy, so mm-hmm. not much. Yeah. So uh, we have these early 20s dudes, and we they all kind of coincide in Erie, PA, which is a really small town in this film, and at this, like, mom-and-pop diner, mm-hmm. right? That's where they all, like, that's where we meet all of them together. And we get the vibe that they kind of know Guy, but he's kind of too cool for school yeah and then they're all too cool for him kind of yeah uh, but lenny might know him a little bit more um and they kind of give him shit when he walks in and they're like hey beatnik mm-hmm. um but they like say hey steve's on comes and says hey and then on her way out we get one line from Liv tyler's character Faye. you know what she <laughs> says she says thanks for breakfast she says enjoy your breakfast no she says thanks for breakfast because i think there's an adr line where he like pays for their breakfast no. I think he does. No, I rewound it and listened to it. Uh, we'll play the clip here. Uh, uh, you know, every song is wipe out to Chad. Enjoy your breakfast. See you, Faye. Oh, well, we don't know who won, but... <laughs> I don't know who's right. <laughs> um, but she says something to Guy. Right, and 
it's it's just this thing that's like she's thoughtful enough of a person to think of him, but it it plants the seed for everything that happens afterwards. Yeah. Where, you know, and the whole time Jimmy is just thinking about band names. He's focused on 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 the band, man. Yeah, he's so focused and, and so determined. And he's the talent, Guy's the smart one, Lenny's the fool, and then the bass player just doesn't get a title. No. But Faye is special. Faye is special. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Have you seen the extended version of this film? I watched it once, yeah. Okay. So you've seen the scene where we learn that Mr. White, played by Tom Hanks, is actually gay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like well, okay. Well, I don't know why this got cut. I mean, maybe 20th Century Fox was feeling skittish in the 90s. It could have been that. It could have been... I mean, this is kind of a long runtime film as it is, yeah. but I really wish it was in there. Yeah, and so Sarah made this astute point when we were watching last night. She's like, he is the stealth gay best friend to Liv Tyler, where he's just planting seeds and just being like, uh, what's Jimmy doing over there with Diane Dane? And then let's talk about uh, sure, but I mean Scott. he's not he's not hitting the trope of no. I don't have any character outside of this. No, thing. but that's <laughs> the thing is that like it was originally part of the formula, mm-hmm. and now it just seems benevolent on him. But if we knew that about him, it would have it would have come across more towards the trope. But it's not because it's it's not. I don't canonical. think so. I I mean, I think it would have. I think it would have changed how we viewed his. It definitely would have changed how we viewed his character, which is an interesting uh, thing. Knowing that about him, and bringing that bringing that trope in, because that's what Sarah's read was. She knew that about him, and she's like, oh, so he's kind of gay best friend to Liv Tyler right now. I disagree, but that's fine. And why not? Tell me more. Um. The gay best friend trope is, one, it belongs in rom-com, and this is not quite a rom-com, so it doesn't kind of fit that mold. Yeah. But secondly, the the idea of Mr. White being there to simply be a safe person for uh, a female friend to talk to about about her love life. But what's his intent? Doesn't that... exist in this film. No, I, I absolutely think the only point of that conversation is that Tom Hanks is guiding Liv Tyler towards towards Guy and I think away she, from Jimmy. I think, well, yeah, but he's he's not being like, I so think, tell me about your, your Guy problems. Because, and this is all in the dialogue that Tom Hanks writes, mm-hmm. he is just a character who sees the writing on the wall. And he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't say, hey, you know, why are you with Jimmy? He just says, oh, what's Jimmy doing talking to Diane Dane? That's, no, then, that's the thing. He's way more clever and he's way more smart and he's yeah, not going to be obvious so about it. It's not a gay best friend thing to me. He's just a gay character and he's not her best friend. He just sees her. He's, no. Because Mr. White is like really smart. He sees what is going on. Right. He, he's just like, yeah, this is I like I'm like way above it all. You guys all have um, like, oh, you Lenny, you have a new girlfriend. Great. Whatever. I'm not even going to ask her name. Just come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I see everything that's going no, on. No, that's there. why I thought it was a astute remark for calling it a stealth thing, because it's 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 just behind the scenes stuff where he's just kind of doing his machinations and he's not going to like like be super emotionally supportive. But I think he's machinations just... is a strong word. Oh, yeah. I think. I think so much of this. I mean, I mean, uh, it's too strong. No, no. I think so much of what's <laughs> going on in this movie is manipulation done by Mr. White. Where I really like my ultimate theory of this film is that he wanted the band to fall apart when it falls apart. I think that was his ultimate goal. Is that he knew that these guys only had a hit in them in the first place, and he knew he just needed to get the hit, be done, move on, find the next one. That I yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that necessarily. And, and I think but... a lot of 
like that scene in particular is him being like, all right, here's a pressure point. Uh, Faye likes Guy more than she likes Jimmy. Okay, and he Robin is, and I were talking about this beforehand. Is uh-huh. that shown anywhere in the film? Where, that's that's what I read from that scene. Right. Like what, what we have to do as an audience is a couple uh, like imaginative gymnastics right there because we have never seen Mr. White witness the two of them hanging out together. Uh, like just like talking to each other. I mean, we have to infer it. Yeah, exactly. And so, and and it's not something that breaks the scene for me. I think it's a really, really strong scene. But I think it's something where Mr. White is just a little bit more sage. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he sees what's going on. And then he brings up, I think he's not influencing right now. I think he's gauging. I think he's getting to know her because yeah that's he, definitely in the performance right like there's there's something where he he orders the same drink that um and that now now that i'm saying this it's, it feels more um moriarty ish yeah uh but he he orders the same drink that uh faye's having sits down next to her we haven't even said like where this is in the movie basically <laughs> they're on tour and he inquires about jimmy and then he's like what about i think he phrases it what about guy like, does he have anybody back home that's, you know, waiting for him? And she's like, oh, yeah, this person. But she ran off with her dentist, which catches us up to the, like his love life because we don't even see them break up. We, it's it's just kind of such assumed. a weird aside, though, that the uh-huh. movie actually takes a scene to show Guy's girlfriend meet this dentist that uh-huh. she falls in love with. It's I like, love the movie for that. Why though? are we getting the scene? I'm glad we got it. It's a funny little scene. Exactly. And it doesn't take that much time to get through. Isn't it so weird to see Charlize Theron out of words? Yeah, it's like Miss Confident is like flabbergasted. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, but she she plays the part well. What do you think about the dentist's chin? Um, dappling. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so in in my mind... I think you, you're right to call him sagely. Mr. White is sagely. I think he sees the writing on the wall, and I don't think he's purposefully manipulating her in any way. I think he's simply there to be like... Like, I'm bored. I'm on tour with these people. I figure what's going to happen is Jimmy and Faye are going to break up eventually because he's way too obsessed with his music and she's way too nice. Yeah. And maybe he's doing a little couple matching, but I it's not in the gay best friend way. I think that cheapens his character. No, what my, my point is, though, is that you can do... Because this is a trope across a lot of rom-coms, and 99% of the time it's bad. Mm-hmm. Like in To All the Boys 2, is it Marcus is his name? He like shows up for one scene, says something to tell Laura Jean what to do. It's worse and then than the first gone. one. Yeah. And then he disappears. Mm-hmm. We don't even get any of his experience. Whereas in the extended, <laughs> I love how we're like canonically like the extended version canon. <laughs> the canon of the extended version of that thing you do is like Mr. White in the 60s you know, as a gay man, it's not, you can't be super out because like, I don't think Rock Hudson was out until way later. Right. Yeah. I I don't think you could be, you could be super out. It would just affect your career. Yeah. And like Mr. White is super driven at this, you know, Mm -hmm. white. He actually becomes, if we're talking extended canon, he becomes the president because if you look at the CD notes, it's signed like at the bottom, it says, uh, A.M. White, President, Playtone Records. I just love that this movie has so much lore to it. It does. You wouldn't expect a comedy to have this lore. My main point is, the reason why I like Sarah's comment is that, gay or not, 
what he is doing is being a sage. Mm-hmm. And I think I would use the word machination. Sure. Um, and I think that's what I'd rather see from characters is not just, just say, telling characters Me, what to yeah, do. This movie works around, doesn't it? It's, it's him doing whatever he's doing. And he has plural motivations that he's looking out for Faye, but he's also looking out for the band and what's best for everybody. And most importantly, like we have to infer that. Like nothing about what any of these characters do is like is telly. Like there's barely any exposition. We kind of just get what's going on or how a character is feeling by their actions or the things they don't say. Mm-hmm. And what Mr. White isn't saying is, it seems like you'd be better off with Guy. Right. He doesn't do that. That's yeah. not his style. But he's just going to plant some seeds. Yeah. But do you concur that that his ultimate goal is for them to break up when they do? <laughs> It's an interesting question. Um, because to catch inter- everyone up in the movie yeah. is, uh, you know, Mr. White's their manager throughout the whole whole movie, and he's, you know, guiding them along this rocket ship of their career success. Um, but it, James, Jimmy just gets more and more frustrated that they're doing all these, like, things like cameoing in Hollywood movies and, you know, doing all these dumb tour stuff and what Jimmy wants is to be recording. And I think he's doing that thing that a lot of early 20s people do which is look at everything in the short yeah. game like not not all people in their t- early 20s do this but like he's he's like i want to make music now yeah i want to be afforded the freedom to do this thing because i've garnered a little bit of success and i want to be a serious artist i right. don't want to do like floofy stuff <laughs> i like how they put po- in the beginning they're like all of his band names have something to do with music like the beatles yeah and they're even like name checked at one point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So at the end of it, the band falls apart because Jimmy gets so upset that Mr. White is, you know, producing the hell out of this new LP and is just making all these demands, which from a point of view of you're on a record label, it's kind of like you and I have always been like, well, you're on a label. It's You don't have independence. You, you got to do what they say. You, you got to do what they say. There, and there's some bands with enough clout that they can yeah, uh, it's but, the same thing with filmmakers. But you certainly don't have the talent to garner that kind of independence. No, well, at least not. He doesn't not have, yet. Not yet. I mean, he might have the talent, but it's not on display yet. Right. And like, okay, if if you're looking at Mr. White, let's go back to your theory because if your theory is this whole movie was about a breakup. Yeah. Okay. It's about a band oh, breaking oh. up. Okay. Two breakups. Yeah, and then it's about Jimmy and Faye breaking up. All right. I I quit. I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I quit, Mr. White. You have Mr. White saying, look, you guys just need to, perf- like, you can have whatever song you want on your B-side, but you're going to write me a new song and it's going to be something peppy and happy, right? Yeah. And so he's doing that producer controls them thing. Yeah. But... Like he, like I'm, I'm, I never look at it from the producer standpoint, especially like a just smart producer that we don't hate, but who is just smart. Right. And what he's trying to do is make something more of this band. He's just trying to make a successful band for his record label, but he's also taking care of them at the same time and guiding them on a path that they need to go down if they want to eventually make the kind of music that they want to make. Yeah. But I think he sees, cause you have Jimmy, who's the the talent you have someone like Lenny, who's just kind of a, a doof, but is, is good enough to be in this band. And you have the bass player who's leaving the band already. And then you have guy 
And it's kind of like, I feel like Tom Hanks knows Mr. White, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Like Mr. White knows that guy's going to be fine. Yeah. Like, he's, he's really smart and he's really talented. Smart and talented. Yeah. And Jimmy also is going to be fine, but not worth his time. I think right. Mr. White's like, we don't need to bother with you. Yeah, like, you're a drama queen. Yeah. And um, that's why I think he, like my, I think the coup de grace of this whole plan is at the Hollywood showcase, the big gig that they have where they're on live television. This is the whole, like, this is the peak to their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does the super of, um, the superimposition of careful girls. He's engaged under Jimmy's face under, for Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And the mystery for a second is who wrote that? And it's like, which one of you butts said we're engaged? Same person who said you had class, Jimmy. That whole thing pisses Jimmy off, and he blames blames Faye for it, and they get into a stupid fight, and then he just breaks up with her because he's a hothead. Uh, and that same attitude that Jimmy had towards Faye now gets redirected towards Mr. White. And, you know... It's not the same thing in terms of why he's breaking up with one person and why he's quitting the band, Mm -hmm. but still it's his ego getting in the way. And let's actually, on that point in time, can we take a break? Because I think when we come back, I'd like to do a little bit of trope talk about Jimmy. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to Trope Talk. Not Grope Talk, which (laughs) is a different podcast. Altogether. So we've got Jimmy... Faye and Guy. This is the love triangle that, like, if we're building Guy and Faye's relationship, it's just that throughout this tour that they're on and throughout, like, the whole process of the band coming together and writing that thing you do, Guy is nicer to Faye than Jimmy ever is. He pays attention to things that she says. They joke around. And Jimmy's always focused on his art, right? Mm -hmm. And so it kind of builds that Guy is perfect for Faye and Faye is perfect for Guy even though their interactions are generally small it's something about him taking care of her when she's sick or you know um they're they're at that Villa Pianos which is named after Tom Hanks's favorite like linebacker from the Raiders I think <laughs> and she, they're like just like schmarming about a girl that was talking about him in the bathroom and it's like I could see you guys being a good couple yeah Jimmy plays the role of the bad boyfriend yeah now, we've had a lot of bad boyfriends, I think, in, in our genre. I don't know how many of them we've had so far in our movie set, but this this tends to be something that we're probably going to run into far more often, like especially if we ever do like Hallmark movies. Yeah. But uh, I was thinking about You've Got Mail since we brought it up with Steve Zahn earlier. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the internet is just another way of being rejected by a woman. Steve Zahn is amazing and he's the only one who could play guitar in this movie i just want to drop that knowledge right Mm -hmm. here he plays guitar and is a good guitar player Mm -hmm. we don't need to keep this in the podcast i just derailed myself but basically in you've got mail you've got greg kinnear Mm -hmm. greg kinnear isn't a bad boyfriend but he's not right for meg ryan right He's pedantic. He cares more about his writing and what people think about his writing than he does about the relationship, which if it, you don't have to be abusive to be not right for somebody. You don't have to be like as bad as Jimmy ends up being at the end of this movie to be the wrong person for somebody else. But Greg Kinnear, when he's like 
typing his words. He's doing it for Meg Ryan, but he's mainly doing it to sound smart. Right. Well, I don't know. No, Kathleen! I, really, I'm just, I'm just... You are a lone reed. You are a lone reed. Standing tall, waving boldly in the corrupt sands of commerce. I am a lone reed. Lone reed. I am a lone reed. Kind of like us. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I, and, and I see myself, my darker sides are part of Jimmy, which I hate. Yeah. Um, where I'm just like, ooh, I love the sound of my voice right now. And what I'm saying, not right now, I hate the sound of my voice. But like if I'm writing something and I'm just like, molto bene. Yeah. Uh, like you can see yourself being a bad partner because you're way too focused on yourself. And that's something that guy can kind of do instead where he's the guy who can not only be there for the music and care, like, like he can go to a jazz club and just be like this right here. But I think he'd be way more interested in being like, Faye, I love this right here. Isn't this amazing? Mm -hmm. Rather than, you know, being, being like, no, 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 I'm absorbing this right now and writing lyrics. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny in this movie is that Guy's a bad boyfriend to Shirley's Theron. Mm -hmm. He pulls the same shit that Jimmy does to Faye. Uh, does he? He invites her to a couple of his shows. But he doesn't listen to her. Like, there's times where she talks about things and he, he steamrolls over her comments and just keeps talking about the band and the song and the performance and stuff that he wants to talk about. I don't know, I haven't played in front of people in so long, so I was nervous, but it sounds better fast. Jimmy wanted it slow, but he was wrong. It's an up-tempo number, and we won! That Jimmy fella certainly has a gal pal in Faye. They make a cute couple, huh? The only other band I was in was my uncle's band. We played this wedding for free, and then we broke up. This one gets a paying gig. Right, which, Here's the thing. I, I don't think that he's a perfect boyfriend for her, but I also think that she's a bad girlfriend for him. Right. And they just, I mean, more than anything, it just showed that they really weren't that interested in each right. other. Because like she's more like when he, they're performing their first show, she's like checking her makeup. Yeah. And she's not into when, it. When he's like talking to her on the phone, he's just like, oh my gosh, our show was so great. And, you know, he's, he's not, but I feel like if, if, she she to me is just so unengaging yeah with him that i i, I mean we're supposed to not like charlie's theron in right this sorry movie anyway. charlie's theron but um you're right you're right he's not necessarily the best boyfriend but he's good for Faye. right um and i don't know what's what's another example of this trope uh like the love triangle the love triangle or yeah mainly like that love triangle with the bad a uh, significant other. Oh, well, you got Bridget Jones' diary. Okay. You got Hugh Grant mm -hmm. or Colin Firth. And Hugh Grant, there's this weird thing where Hugh Grant is not quite the antagonist. Mm -hmm. For a while, he's definitely not. And then at some point, he is. But you know, the whole time, if this movie's going to have a quote unquote happy ending, they're not going to end up together. It's going to be the person that we know and love. Yeah, and we're we're never really rooting for Jimmy and Faye. No, we don't not really at all. care about them. He, I don't know how many times he looks at her in the whole movie. Well, there's a really sweet moment where he's singing "All My Only Dreams" to her. Uh huh. That's how much I know the Lord. But, like that song is so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's sitting there watching at Villapianos. 
and she's singing along with him uh-huh. and he's just looking he's just right in looking at her right but they're connecting through his music yeah and i think that's her attraction to him uh-huh. was his music and, and that's why she's smitten with him and that's when we see her most smitten is when he's playing music and that's the only time that really he seems smitten with her is when she's loving his music yeah and, and i mean take this be i want to hear some personableness to this um, from a filmmaker's point of view, because I've never directed Sarah or anything, but there's such a weird connection when you're working with other people in film mm-hmm. where you're making friendships um, and the, the art thing is such a binding force. Sure. What, what is your experience with that? Well, I mean, in the film world, we always talk about it like, and this is going to sound jerky saying it like this, but... It's all about like your film family because yeah. you come together, you're basically smelted together in this fire and then you're hardened into steel by the end of set where you've gone through whether like, like I always, I always think about this, like from the actor's perspective, they're bearing their souls. They are becoming extremely vulnerable, but they're being surrounded by a bunch of other people who have to be like supportive, which is why some actors kind of rightly so freak out when somebody's making their job super hard. Yeah. <laughs> like if somebody's goofing off in the background while yeah. you're acting. Um not going to name names here. Um but like Hey, have you seen Dark Knight trilogy? Christian yeah. Bale? Yeah. I just want to ask. Christian yeah. Bale's really good in it. No, I don't know why you brought that up, but yeah, totally. Yeah. Christian yeah. Bale, check it out. Uh you should also check him, him out in I think Terminator. He's also Yeah, in Terminator Netflix. Salvation? Yeah, that's the one. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. YouTube it. Probably a whole movie on Great that. set, I think. Yeah, good set. Um, but in this in this family, you get really close to people, but also em- emotions run high and yeah. hot. And sometimes like people flip out because there's pressure coming in either from the studio or you have to like make your day. And sometimes those days are eight hours and sometimes those days are like 21 hours. Yeah. Um, it just kind of depends on what you're doing. So you brought this up and then you mentioned like you hadn't worked with Sarah before. Were you asking me, had I worked with Robin in this capacity? Well, you guys worked on Good Chemistry together. and uh-huh. We've actually worked on probably like nine projects together. You know, never in a position, though, where Jimmy is, where he has to be really vulnerable as a performer. And I think that's what's great about Faye is there to kind of protect him is that she is his biggest cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And him, like for a really good performer, you got to be vulnerable. Well, where this, yeah, and you're right. She she is there to like like when she runs in the store, for instance. When they, what a great scene when they first hear their song on the radio. Oh, it's so joyous. And Faye hears it first, and then um, TB player hears it, and they they <laughs> they run into the appliance store, find guy, turn on all the radios, and then Lenny and um, Jimmy come in and like they're run and hug each other. Like she's so filled with joy for him, mm-hmm. and she's just such a good partner yeah um and i would I'd you're, have to... you're a good partner to robin and i've gotten to witness this uh when we're working on her short film good chemistry and i'm the editor and you're <laughs> just there to catch her because she's just so attentive to every last thing and you're like you're doing great like keep keep up the good work oh like, thank you and, um, and you guys are good partners for each other in that because and it's really weird is because 
I hear her question things in the same way that I've heard you question things. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, when did Kelly come? We went really room? hard on Ryan a couple times in edits. <laughs> Sorry, but buddy. No, it's good. It's it's the it's it's being family, and we're we're making mm-hmm. something good out exactly. of it. Exactly, and you have to be able to like talk through that stuff. I'd have to say one of the like okay, just this will be the last Robin and me story, I guess. The like oftentimes I help her. Uh, when she has auditions, a lot of which, oh yeah, I mean, generally speaking, a lot of auditions, even before the pandemic, um, were done virtually. So you you know do your self tape and send it in, and I'd just read against her. But Robin very graciously lets me direct her every once in a while, or um, she generally is like a a one taker where she's just like, oh yeah, you got it, you're you're great, yeah. <laughs> but um, Every once in a while we get to work together like that. And I've gotten to direct her in a couple of things. So she has been vulnerable in that regard where it's hard because you have to create kind of that trust is already there. And so that makes it easier in some respect, but you have to set aside like every other bit of ego that you have with each other and become performer mm-hmm. actor or performer director. And yeah. It's it's really interesting, and so uh, I guess I'm leading this all to say, man, it must have been interesting for her to be his costume mistress. Set, costume mistress is the word. I, I think it's really interesting that his Jimmy's whole thing, being the talent and being the writer of that thing you do, putting himself out there. I think that's where the attraction lies for them. Is that Jimmy kind of put himself out there, and Faye was like, you know what, I like what you are. I like who you are. And they have this relationship. You're, you're building a, a before the movie. Kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. And I think that's all we see is when they're working well together is a, when he's performing. And when he's not performing, they don't get along very well. Yeah, Jimmy doesn't get along with anybody when he's not performing. I yeah. think his life falls apart because his life is about the music. And I think it's it shows that he's actually the most insecure character in the film of oh for sure a serious lack of confidence in himself mm-hmm. and the inverse is true for guy who's actually you know kind of from the first frame is the most next to mr white who is king confident um yeah but yeah but guy is the next confident guy in this movie and he he believes in himself he believes in himself as a drummer and he believes in his talent and he's just cool as stone yeah like if you think about all of guys seen as that person that we want to fall in love with Faye and that person that we want Faye to fall in love with. Mm -hmm. He, he is personable. Like he, he cares about the music, but it's more so that he knows what is good and what is not. And we get that from that first kind of, dickish move of his to change up the tempo of a song his first performance with somebody i don't know if the audience can see this but i'm smiling smugly to myself i know what we do it is the right move it's what us drummers do um we always win that game (laughs) but he he knows he knows not only how to do something right but that that's kind of like that confidence that you were talking about Uh where he has enough confidence to make a mistake and I, I don't I, we don't really get into Jimmy's psyche any more than like you've already said. But guy, when him and TB player are left in the coffee shop alone, he's like, hey, you want to go do something with me? And he's just like, come be a best friend. Yeah. And even though he's not going to be Phil Collins, like, you right. know, he's not going to be uh, the drummer that has his own band and fame. He's just going to be a player that can go play on as many albums as people want him to and is just a talented person he's going to get far in the industry like so many people do 
by being a good person and being reliable and yeah and being reliable and i mean that's another thing that we say about like working in the film industry is that like you know a lot of it some some of it is politics and some of it is talent but a lot of it is putting in hard work and wanting like putting in the kind of performance and having the kind of attitude where somebody's going to be like, I want you on my set again. Yeah. Like you might not be the world's most organized PA, but I will bring you back if you've made everybody else feel better. That yeah. Day. Cause well, I was on set for Robin's film for good chemistry and it's just like, it works so well together. Cause Man, I think we build a good set for that one. You guys just hired like for every role. I just think the first question was like, who'd be good for this? Every time, and yeah. you just always pick that most reliable person. I mean, we've been super lucky. Portland's got a great like film industry as it is. It's a smaller one, but like generally, the people in it—at least the people we work with—it's like it's super good. The people are good. We got a good like diverse set going on too. It's just like I I miss working yeah. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> anyway, we'll get off of that. Um, so uh, I want to talk about one of my favorite scenes. Do it. Can we talk about when he goes to the jazz club? Yes, I was hoping you'd say that. It's so good. So he goes to see a, a, a band. Like First, he gets vetted by Lamar, who asks yeah. him like a jazz question that only like somebody really into jazz would know. Yeah. Hey, did you text the young squire? Um, yeah. If anybody calls for me, I'll be at Chase's with Suzanne Plachette. Got you. Sure. Hey, Lamar, is yeah. there any place around here with really good jazz? Oh, you want good jazz? Good, Jay. Let me ask you a question. Who played cornet Jacques Sinclair on Vital Stats? Scotty McDonald. Get in the cab. Get in the cab. <laughs> Take this young man to the blue spot. And uh, Lamar's got such charisma, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. So he goes and he meets none other than... Uh, Bill Paxton. Del Paxton. Paxton. He needs Bill Bill Paxton. Del Paxton. (laughs) He's like, we gotta get out of here, man. Del Paxton. And Rita Wilson. Wilson. Who is smoking. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm just gonna say it right now. Those bosoms. Wow. Just Halsey. Well, it just uh, like, okay, Tom Hanks, put your wife out there like that. She's probably, he probably just brought oh, are her. Are we kidding? Like Rita Wilson is probably the one who put herself out there like oh, that. Oh, no, but I, I just bet that he went to the costumer and was like, okay, what do we got for her? What do we got for her? He Can finds I... the most <laughs> ridiculous one and he just brings He's it just to He's just smiling Rita. behind the camera He's the like, whole time. Ah, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Now I, I have some. I have some. You you had your like theory about Mr. White, right? Uh-huh. You have a theory about Marguerite. I do. Okay. So um, apparently, in casting process, Tom Hanks wasn't quite sure about casting Tom Everett Scott because of how much he looks like Tom Hanks, like right. a young version. And I, as a as a kid, I was probably eleven. No, I was. How old was I? I was nine when this movie came out. I thought he was Tom Hanks' son, like. Oh, they cast Tom Hanks' son. In the movie, because I was nine. I was like, oh, is he his son? I mean, you weren't far off. Colin Hanks could have almost done it. Who's also in this movie. Right. Almost didn't cast him. Then Rita Wilson was like, no, you got to cast him. I think he's really cute. Mm. And so not only that, but then she's now in a scene hitting on Tom Everett Scott the whole time. Yeah. And I'm just like, what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a theory about it, but I'm just like... I, I love like the idea of Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks being like, yeah, you go hang out with the cute guy. That's fine. <laughs> I can just imagine 
like it's they're in pre-production and Rita Wilson like goes to Tom Everett Scott and she's like, do you want to come back to our place and run lines? <laughs> and like Tom Hanks is way in a corner just staring at them. And Tom Everett Scott's like, uh, uh sure. Is, t- is, t- is Mr. Hanks going to be there? It's like, no, it'll be just us. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> Man, Rita Wilson is so foxy in this movie, and yeah. she's just in it for a scene. And she's great. Yeah, she is. Like, like she, having worked in the late night service industry for a while, like the first thing that he says to her is like, I, I don't know. He just does that thing. He's like, "You see the people on stage?" And she's like, "Yeah, uh huh, oh, yeah." Like, that eyebrow raise. I'm just like, "Yes, yeah." That is, I've done that a million times. Yeah. Uh, we get to see him nerd out about this band uh, when we first gets there, and he's already tipsy and. Man, I, I've had the same facial tics that he has that when we would go to Jimmy Max, which is now oh, demolished. Man. Motherfucking Portland. Uh, one of the best jazz clubs in the history of Portland where we would see Mel Brown, one of the greatest, one of the greats. jazz drummers. And I've had the same drunken, like, oh my God, 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 this is so good. And we were watching it, and Sarah was staring at me watching this movie, and she's just grinning. I'm like, <laughs> what? She's like, it's you. I was like... Okay, but I mean it's true. It's like that's those are the the things that when you love it and you want to nerd out about it and you're just like yeah. I mean I've seen you do this live when we've seen a band. Yeah, where you're just like not only playing air drums sometimes, but you're just like feeling the energy. Remember, remember, remember your jazz energy fingers. Oh yeah, you gotta yeah. you gotta give them some some jazz fingers. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then he meets Del Paxton. Right, and does a super nerd out. Which is weird that his hero is a piano player and not a drummer. Like, I thought he would do that for a drummer. Well, I mean, like, you love Neil Peart, right? It's Peart. Okay. Rest in peace, Mr. Peart. Peart. But but that being said, it's not like if you met... If I met Geddy Lee, who's also in Rush, the greatest band of all time, thank you. Um, But also, like, we don't know that Del Paxton also doesn't play drums. Right. The piano is a percussion instrument. All good drummers also play piano. Drummers have a lot going for them. They need to tap dance and play the piano. (laughs) I feel like Del Paxton is one of those jazz musicians who has been in the game long enough. Like Peter, uh, one of of mine and Ryan's friends from college, Peter, can play most instruments. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he works at a recording studio and plays on people's albums. Fun fact. I needed to make my Star Wars reference of the episode. Mm-hmm. The musician, the composer for The Mandalorian, Ludwig Göransson, yep. plays every instrument that's on the Mandalorian soundtrack, the non-orchestral <laughs> stuff. But he plays the recorder, he plays the drums, he plays the guitar. And so when he wrote that song, it's not like he did a John Williams and he just worked on the piano. Mm-hmm. He did the entire song. You got to listen to his. Uh, I'm going to do a, a plug for another uh, podcast. Does he have a master class? No, he does. Uh, he does an episode of Song Exploder oh, where he cool. breaks apart uh, one of his Black Panther songs. Yeah. And yeah. he's just one of those multi-instrumentalists where it's like, good God, like when, where did you find the time to become this person? I mean, he probably watched less TV than we did. Probably. <laughs> let's, let's, all right. So that was a great scene. He, uh, Tom Everett Scott doesn't end up sleeping with Rita Wilson because he, he's useless to her now. I just want to know who your person that you would nerd out like this would be. Living? Yeah. Shoot. Um, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. He probably wouldn't want to talk to me, but I'd love to nerd out with Neil Gaiman. What about Carrie Elwes? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like if Carrie Elwes came into was at Pals just looking at books and you're you're over he there. did a I I was I was going to go to a reading of his at Pals that ended up being canceled. <sighs> yeah, but yeah, no those those two. What about you? Um, it would have been Neil Peart. Um, I saw Getty Lee on the street in Portland, and I literally had a flight or what was it? I froze out of anxiety. Uh-huh. I really meant to go to him, but I, it's like when you're having a dream and you're trying to scream, but you can't, mm. <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't move. I was so excited to see him because I knew it was him because the day before he played the Mona center and uh. I was there and I wanted to be like, I loved your show. He was great. Can I get a picture? That's what I wanted to do. And I couldn't. I think one of the people that w- I would have done that with had, if she wasn't dead was, uh, Nora Ephron. I just, I think I would stop and freeze and I just wouldn't know what to do. I'm trying to think of the filmmaker that that would happen to you with. I mean, George Lucas for me, I would I would not know what to do with myself. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I've run, you know, you know how you've you do that thing where you run through a conversation so many times in your head that when you have it, it just feels like kind of it flows naturally. Yeah, I, I've met a couple of celebrities that I've like always kind of wanted to talk to. And it was <laughs> I, I wasn't like. As starstruck as I was, uh, as I expected to be. So I don't know who it would be that. Did was you just meet like, Frakes? Did you meet Frakes? Yeah, yeah. Were you starstruck, or were you like, "Hey, Frakes"? Well, I, at first I was starstruck, but then I just went. I, I was waiting on him. Yeah. Uh, I just went in there. I was like, "Hey, by the way, you're amazing. Thank you so much." And um, <laughs> uh, I, I, he gave me a tip, and he's. Um, I was like, "Hey, I'll just go get your drink now." And he's like, "Make it so." <laughs> He didn't. Yeah, yeah. He didn't. Yeah, he was super nice dude. Oh, my God. It was just in the back of a theater. That's so cool. And it's, like, not even his line. So it was, like, he did not need to do that. <laughs> but my, I think my my whole point is that, like, meeting meeting these celebrities, like, you want to do what – you want to be able to nerd out. Yeah. But also keep a level head. And Dell Del makes it easy for him by like shooing the rest of the band and being like, look, you buy me a drink. I'll sit down with you for a second. And you're having drink, not dinner. That way you can leave. It's that date rule. You can leave yep. whenever you want. And they get to culminate by recording with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, how cool is that? It's so it's so wonderful. We are not talking about the rom-com elements of this movie. Well, you know, <laughs> but that's that's the thing is that this movie is joyous because of the relationships and it's joyous because of what the characters get to go through. I think, uh, we didn't bring this up in the beginning, but I think it's, it's something that I want to bring up now and we should do uh, in the rest of our series uh, when we do other movies like this. Their central question to a rom-com generally is, can these two people be together or will these two people be together? Yeah. And I feel like this movie hints at that question between Faye and Guy most of the film. Yeah. And at the end, they they have one of my favorite movie kisses. Mm, mine too. Before you go, let me ask you one question. Shoot. When was the last time you were decently kissed? I mean, truly, truly. Good and kissed. Dave Gamelgard. New Year's Eve. 61. Okay. It's 
long, but the, Tom Hanks shoots it in a way where he doesn't really get a lot of their mouth in most of the shots. So when they're like macking on each other, it's not like it's not super gooey. Yeah. And and what's what's great about that kiss is when he does finally kiss her is the music cue by Howard Shore. I know. Who did Rest in peace Rings. as well. Howard Shore died? No. <laughs> oh god, it scared me. Um and the when they're kissing, the drums gets the center stage and it gets the it's it's focused oh, on that's this cool. backbeat of the drums. Nice. It's like yeah, the drummer gets his due, and it's just kind of like the drummer doesn't get the dog. Okay, <laughs> like the drummer is still the cool guy. He can get the romance every once in a while because it's almost always about the Jimmies of the world. The, sure. the the heroes are always the guitar player, mm-hmm. the singer, the lead guy, but it's the backbone who finally gets to fall in love. And I feel like I mean Tom Hanks is like cast Liv Tyler in the opposite role, right? And she she's not the blonde bombshell from the beginning she's like a thoughtful wonderful like human being who's a brunette and it's just like tom hanks he's got a he's got a rita wilson on you know with him i i just it feels very personal like mm-hmm. where tom hanks is like look look the backbone of this is the smart person. Mm-hmm. And so he makes the smart person the hero. Yeah. And he he has Liv Tyler, the thoughtful person, like get with the smart person. I don't know. It just, it feels like not an underdog story, but it, it feels like a look into real life rather than a look into, like if, if we were watching a biopic, let's say about, um, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say Paul McCartney because he's like one of the lead two faces of the Beatles, uh-huh. you know, uh, rather than like getting Ringo's story, for instance. Yeah. You wanted to tell me about Paul McCartney earlier. Yeah, I've been, I, so I, I listened to Paul McCartney's three that just came out and I thought there were like a couple good songs on there, but it inspired me to go back and check out his number two album. <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he dropped a wicked deuce in the eighties. <laughs> Who does number two work for? <laughs> um, and it's such a weird album. And every like when I listen to Paul McCartney solo albums, it seems like he is making purposeful incoherence where each one of his songs feels so different from the last one. What's the one where he's got the Christmas song on it? Um, is that one? Is that a solo album one? Or is that yeah. like a single that he didn't even put on a solo album? And then he just is like, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a Christmas album. I don't know, but like you should, people go listen to two the album because Wait, not yet. Let us finish the episode, then listen yeah. to two. It's good, but it's weird. I'd rather have good but weird. Yeah, I feel like Paul McCartney wants to be every musician, isn't he? Kind of. Because Just, you'll, tell you'll me understand. about the music video. Oh, yeah. Well, that too. Um, he, like The music video from the uh, first song on the album is called Go Coming Up. And, it's coming up. And it's it's Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney playing every single role in like a 15-person band. It's a hilarious music video. Go watch it. YouTube it. But not, not yet. Let us finish the episode. So, Ryan... This movie is a great movie. We haven't even talked about all of its great parts, like the Steve's on one-liners, the like dance with me sequence, which is just, I think, one of the more powerful performances in a film. Like the way they film it, yeah, is like, it just bar none gets me like 
it's like Tom Hanks at one point in time punches the air, and I'm yeah. just like, I'm right there with you, Tom Hanks. I don't know about you, but when I first watched this movie back when it came out, I always daydreamed about being the Tom Hanks in any situation that I would ever go into, mm-hmm. the Mr. White of the situation, where it's like, I'm going to be a cool guy kind of patrolling the area, making sure everyone's having a good time, but I'm still going to be cool and like, know what's up. But I want to be the cool guy in the background. Like, that when he punches the air, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's where you can actually feel, because Tom Hanks as a character, you said before he has machinations and he could care less about them, but he can also, I, I think at the same time, he cares 100% about not a hundred percent, but he cares about the band. And I feel like you, you kind of get that through moments like that where he's heard this song a hundred times, right? Yeah. But as soon as he, they stick it, he's like, yes, you performed well. Like he doesn't really need to care about them performing well here, but he's the czar of people having a good time. Right. He put this all together. He brought the band in. He's, you know, he's part of the play tone like tour and he, he made this happen. He feels like a maitre d' but, it, it strikes me how much my confidence on a film set, I haven't been able to direct a lot, but I feel like I've been pretty confident when I'm on the set. And I really think it's because there has been a kernel of this thing that I saw in Tom Hanks of like, this is how you're confident on, on not on stage on stage because Tom Hanks is the director. He's not the performer. He's the director where he's just in the background making sure the performers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Tom Hanks, yeah, you're right. He, he is. And, but but he's also the producer. Right, right. Um, but that's kind of what informed me of, like, when you're on set, be cool. Like, yeah. be confident, be cool, be, be know what you have. Know what's good and what you have. And don't, and like, just be cool about it. Well, that's, I really mean it. That's what stayed with me as a filmmaker when I'm on set. That's the attitude I want to have. Oh, me too. I don't think I, I don't know. Did I have any of that when I was on set? I mean, it's been six years since we made a a movie together. But yeah, I mean, I don't, you didn't have a hot head. That's good. So I was, I was definitely not Jimmy Mattingly. No. At least there's that. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, you're great. Tom Hanks great? Nobody's Tom Hanks great, Ryan. Okay. Neither you nor I. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> One day, though. I'll settle for Steve Zahn great. Nobody's Steve Zahn great either. Fine. The bass player. I'll give you Guy. Ah, I'll yeah. take Guy. <laughs> um, but uh, you, this is a great movie, right? It's a great movie. I like I, this is up on this is up on my. Um, we need to have like a, a place where we put the the top movies. It's not a top shelf. It deserves to be higher than a shelf. A uh, roof? No, not a roof either. A rooftop terrace? Because the terrace is on top of the roof? Maybe this is our um this is the movie that we we put on a balloon and send up into space so that so that other other like aliens will someday, you know, because balloons last in the upper atmosphere. Um, these are these is this is one of those movies that we tie to a balloon and send up into space because we want them to get like, hey, this is this is something cool our culture did. Yeah. Okay. So what this is going in in my balloon that I send to space. Okay. Cool. Along <laughs> along with what other movies? Our Notting Hills and our Sleepless in Seattle. Well, for you and I, one of our personal favorites with Nail and I. 
Yeah, but I mean for the podcast. For the pod, oh yeah. Well, no, we no. might do we might do Could a with Neil and I later on for a romantic comedy. But definitely the, your Nora Ephron's, your Nancy Myers, yeah. your Richard Curtis. This is up there. So tell me why we can at least include this as not quite a rom com. Well, well, like we said before, the the movie kind of has like a high key, happy, peppy look to it, mm-hmm. and so look wise. It's already there. It's got the feel of a rom-com. It has the feel of a rom-com. It's atmosphere. It's atmosphere. It's it's not being, yeah, the mise-en-scene. Yeah. It's French. Oh, okay. It's not being overly showy, but it's also not being like barren. It's very, very zippy. Um, Like it's colorful. It's like the the whole time I'm watching it, I'm having a fun time. Mm Mm-hmm. Even even in the sad moments, I'm still having a fun time, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of rom coms do that. Mm-hmm. What else does it have? Uh, it has it has Faye and it has Guy, and it has this. It's under the radar for the vast majority of the film, but still, the climax to the film is this kiss between them. We get um, and after the credits, what happened to people, which uh-huh. sometimes happens in biopics, but also happens in rom coms. Yeah. You know, they live happily ever after they have three kids in a recording studio in Washington. Yeah, which is great. That's basically it. Like, what else makes it a rom-com? That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not quite a rom-com. What is it then? Um, It's also comedy. It's a music comedy. Oh, I want to sing the praises of Jonathan DeMay, who helped on this film. He directed Stop Making Sense, which is a Talking Heads concert film. And I'm pretty confident that's why Tom Hanks asked for his help. Mm. Uh, to produce it because Jonathan Deme directed him in Philadelphia. So is it Demi or Deme? Um, it's Dumas, actually. And dumbass. <laughs> all the sequences of the of the music is always visually interesting, mm-hmm. always visually dynamic, and always it never gets stale. Even if they play that thing you do like nine times in this movie, nine times. Every time it it, it just feels. Fresh, and that's what Stop Making Sense brings, is that you have this stage show that David Byrne designed, and mm. it just doesn't look like a concert film. No, it, it really doesn't. It looks like doesn't. a movie that you're in. You're in this environment with David Byrne. Like, there's... You would think that watching David Byrne sing after a while wouldn't be interesting, but the way they film that, it totally is. Yeah, and so every single song in this film, you could do a music video and just extract it from the film, and you could release it on... Not MTV, way too cool for school, but VH1. Well, okay, so then I want to ask you, what would be your rom-com Oscar, Mr. Downtown? Unequivocally best music. Easy. This movie lost Oscar for best song. To who? To fucking Andrew Lloyd Webber. That guy... That, that guy's got enough awards. That guy, would, he's come up in our podcast a couple of times now. Uh, I take it back. I don't like you anymore, Andrew Lloyd Webber, because no way, no way should this song have lost. Yeah. It's too good. It's too good. So best music. And the whole soundtrack itself, I have the soundtrack. Guys, get the soundtrack because it's also got all the other fake music. So the opening song, I thought that was a period song. That's a new song. Written by Tom Hanks. They wrote it for the movie. That that one in particular. Tom Hanks wrote some lyrics and some music on some of these songs, but that one was all him. He wrote that song. Yeah. Uh, the There's like a Beach Boys kind of like fake Beach Boys song on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, 
all the other songs we 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 danced to all my only dreams uh, at our wedding nice um i'm pretty sure we played all the other songs on there except for that thing you do because you know it'd be kind of distracting because everyone knows that one but sure. but they totally yeah they loved uh all my only it's dreams. a i mean it's a, like robin and that was one of the first things that robin and i bonded over was knowing words to these fake songs like if i mean they're real songs but if you go on spotify they're under the fake artists, oh, I love not it. not the people who actually right. sang them. Right. Yeah. And I think the first one, hold on. I've got it right here. Isn't, oh, Diane Dane. Yeah, Diane Dane. Diane Dane, the Chantrelines. Oh, can we, can we, did Jimmy? Can okay. we talk the Chantrelines? Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Because the bass player has this little relationship with the lead singer from the Chantrelines. Uh-huh. And I'm just heartbroken that we never really get to spend I'm, time with them. It's not in the extendeds either. No. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like the bass player got the girl, but then he joined the Marines. I just really hope that it worked out between them. I don't think it does because, well, I mean, it could, but like he ends up doing construction in Florida. Yeah. He's a, like, a, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it does, which is too bad because like him being backstage and like clapping along with them. It's really cute. It's so and they adorable. Seem cool. They they work great together. Yeah, I don't know. Like TB Player is one of those guys who's like, like Ethan Embry plays a very funny character, but he is so forgettable. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe she, maybe she's better off without him. Freddie Fredrickson. I like Freddie Fredrickson as this. Like it's such a good period thing because like you have Diane Dane, who's the lady. Kind of alliteration going the on. The Nancy here. Sinatra or you know whoever the. She's almost some Rosemary Clooney. Yeah, yeah. It's just very elegant, you know, mm-hmm. singer. Before we go too far away from me calling her like Rosemary Clooney, she doesn't sing like her. She's just no, but famous single. As famous. Yeah. Yeah. Freddie Fredrickson, we can infer from it, of, of the three details that we get, that in the 50s, he must have been a huge crooner star. Yeah. But it's the early 60s. That style is totally on its way out, and that's why he's been demoted to this state fair tour. Right. He feels like a like if you mix Dean Martin with uh, Bobby Darren. It's what happened to Bobby Darren. Yeah. Is that Bobby Darren just came in at the wrong time. He was super talented, but he just was at the end of the Kruner era, and Under it never happened. The waning moon. I love when they they meet him and they're just like like geeking out over him and he's like bye <laughs> see ya um okay hold on can i ask you so you brought up diane dane we hadn't talked about her all movie she's right. she's this i i want to go back and watch the moment where she comes off stage at one point in time she's been schmoozing with jimmy this whole time and you can tell she has like a huge crush on him and he on her and she walks off stage pushes lenny out of the way yeah and then touches jimmy's hand ever so lightly oh yeah and very we, flirty we see Faye see this and she's not going to do anything because he didn't overtly do something wrong, but it's obviously like what's going on here. Yeah. I want to go back and see if Mr. White saw that. Oh, like, did he make note? Good question. Um, but do you think they slept together? No. Okay. I don't think they would have had an opportunity to because it was on tour together. Yeah. But there's so many people and I I don't, I bet they could make it work. There's no cell phones. I guess so. What I don't, they, I don't but, think I don't think they did either. But the setting was they're all in this like same area together. Is well, that, yeah, I don't but that's know. that's just when they're performing though. I guess so. I don't know where they could have been secluded. A hotel. Her room. 
he, Sorry, I'm building it out right now. I don't even think it happened <laughs> no. and I'm building it out. The the reason why I don't think it happened is because Jimmy seems like one of those people who is like, oh, now that I can be famous, um, I can have my my insecurity like padded and satiated with more famous people and more fans than just Faye. Yeah. It seems like how his story would end up. Yeah. And so I but I feel like he didn't take advantage of that on tour, which is why he's so venomous to Faye. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. That's that's just my my read of the sitch. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I, con- I concur. Bad Jimmy. <laughs> what? No, like he's a bad guy. He's oh. a bad Jimmy. I wasn't saying bad Jimmy. <laughs> I thought you said badge me. Badge me? <laughs> like I'm a Boy Scout? Yeah. <laughs> badge me. Um Okay, well my Oscar. <laughs> rom not quite a rom-com Oscar. So much I would I would have given it best music. That was a great Oscar. You can, that you gave. You can give him best music too. We can, I, that's how good it is. It should get two awards for best music. I just want to say to me this film is comprehensive. We watched unfortunately Valentine's Day, remember? <laughs> there were a lot of easter eggs in Valentine's Day whether it was like the signs being held up um at the <laughs> airport. You know what? I literally thought for a second I'm like, wait, was it Valentine's Day or was it New Year's Day? <laughs> Like, I couldn't remember which holiday they were actually that's, celebrating. That's why it's so bad. No, it's remember because they mentioned love yeah. half a hundred times. And so there's a lot of Easter eggs in the stupid movie that we watched. And the reason why they're not interesting Easter eggs is because it's a dumb movie. But what what those should do in a good movie is just enhance the experience every time you go back and watch it. Like in this film, when you when they're playing their first show in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, you got Kevin Pollack mm-hmm. playing the car salesman who also runs uh, a theater. Right. Right. Kevin Pollack, who can do any impression ever. Yeah. It, like on the outside of his theater, you you have um, it's not Jimmy and the Lovells, but like Jim Lovell is referenced on the marquee. Right. And there's just so many little things like that. And like Colin Hanks takes uh, Liv Tyler into Mm -hmm. the show when she goes to the show. Like Elizabeth Hanks is a girl in a store. It's just like this feels like something that was crafted with love. And I think that's one other aspect to this rom-com thing where like you have something that was so lovingly crafted. It kind of comes across rom com mm-hmm. um, and and so I love all the Easter eggs. This film felt comprehensive, and so I'm going to give it the the film for most comprehensive, from its characters to its details, like creating a world of 1964 to like giving us moments in the dentist office or with Del Paxton. This movie comprehensively cares about all of its parts, which there's great movies that don't, but like I would say. Like if we're watching 2001, 2001 doesn't really care about character, right? Or right. story. It's still a great movie, but it's not comprehensive in that way. I mm-hmm. would say this film gets at, it, it might be missing something, like some deep philosophical things in it that you could get from another movie, but this movie doesn't need to be all things. It's just very comprehensive in its parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's That's what a great director should be doing is caring about everything. Caring about the vision. Yeah. Yeah. The production design, the music, the Mm -hmm. acting, the script. All of it needs to be thought through. This feels like it came, like every every detail was cared about in a very similar way as Tom Bazooka's film, The Family Stone. Tom Bazooka. Where all the characters have a backstory of some kind. Mm -hmm. Even if, like when you think about it and you, you go back and watch this movie, our characters are kind of flat 
Yeah, they're more types. They're types. They're archetypes, but because we're watching an allegory. Well, you, you use allegory the way that Tolkien would hit you over a frying pan. No, no. With. T- Tolkien does not like allegory. That doesn't mean he would not use the word. What's the allegory? I think it's an allegory for the one hit wonder. I think it's the test case or the the like blueprint of the one hit wonder, right? Sure. I mean, it's not. A, I guess it's not a direct allegory to a specific instance but it's like but the, it's, the movie itself is the archetype of the one hit wonder it is and and i think the reason why i call it an allegory is because they're literally called the wonders right so it's it's prefaced in a way where it's like if you had a character named odog or odug playing god or something yeah like that, but it's like know? a fairy tale about one hit wonders and so sure sure so, so maybe instead of allegory can we call it like um a fable yeah 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 okay well, Tolkien's like much better, much better. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I want. Can we make a podcast called Haunted by Tolkien? Yeah, um, which would just be about the fantasy genre. Trademark, trademark, trademark. You can't take that. I just imagine Neil Gaiman just like, how can I win? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's. Ryan, I've been wanting to know this whole time. Who would you fall in love with? Hold on, I'm going to call it right here. And why? Yeah, please. Okay. <clears throat> Faye. Because she reminds you of Sarah. No, you can't just do that. <laughs> I can't just... I, I've never done that. There needs to be a reason why someone reminds me of my wife. Well, because she's really thoughtful. She's kind. And because she really likes strummers. I'm actually going with Darlene, Guy's sister. What? <laughs> no way, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not going with Faye. Okay. I'm going with... Damn it, the one time... I'm going with Lenny because that's <laughs> how wonderful Steve Zahn is in this movie. Hey, that's on matters. And I like my relationships to be fun. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd have a lot of fun with Faye. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would definitely have fun with Lenny. Fair. That is, that is, Lenny has maybe the, he's the most sarcastic dude in this whole film. And I think you, you could you could roll with that. So imagine you go to a movie with Faye, mm-hmm. and it's a comedy, and everyone's rolling in the aisles laughing. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the like a gut busting comedy. I can just imagine Faye smiling at the movie. Oh, I think she would laugh. I think I think the sense I got was just she's very good good natured. Which you you gotta watch out for with Steve Zahn though. He's gonna be talking throughout it. And I know color commentary. I know. I know. I know. But it, it, I, I know what to do with that. Okay, I, I, <laughs> you know how to shut that down. <laughs> with Faye, I would always be second guessing. Like, is she having a good time? Like, she's not rolling in the aisles laughing like we are. And I've never seen you roll in an aisle. Ever. I know, I know. But that's my example where it's like, okay. I we would have a good time, but I think I would have a better time with Lenny. Lenny would be a good time. For a good time call. It's so sad that his story ends up in Las Vegas, where he just owns a hotel. I mean, it's... Or casino. Totally, he totally deserves it. I guess so. I mean, yeah, yeah, But I I so want him to just be like Mr. Fun Time LA for some reason. There's there's something sad about... I mean, Vegas. He's going to have a great time in Vegas. I know. I I just imagine Lenny in the the 90s just... He manages a hotel... 
he's you know got know he doesn't have that hair anymore. He doesn't have the hair anymore. Damn. But if you're going to go to his place, he's going to bring out the guitar and he's like, hey, man, I've got my guitar out. Let's play some music. Yeah, it's like, that's I don't true. play any music. I just work for you. Uh, oh, he's the, he's the manager that makes you listen to his songs. Spinoff, That Thing You Too. And it's about Lenny with some hotel employee and they're trying to get the band back together for some reunion show in Vegas. Okay. Other sequel. For a Vegas I, I love, I love this. Okay. I have another one. Okay. Are you ready? That thing you rue. And it's <laughs> it's all about a kangaroo band. <laughs> How about this? Okay. That thing you blew. Wait, 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 wait. I, I think you're onto something here. Steve's on. Is in Las Vegas. Blue Man Group plays in Las Vegas all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. So Steve Zahn is the manager of the Blue Man Group and is trying to turn them into a Wonders tribute band. And he's trying to Mr. White it. And he's just like, I just can't. He he was just so good. He was such a good. Where were we? Who would I fall in love with? Right. I mean, I was going to say Lenny, but I think I'm going to say Faye. Okay. Like guy guy is a close other because he's mm-hmm. he's like such a nice dude and seems like a good kisser. But there's something about how thoughtful Faye is that just really buttons my shirt. <laughs> um I'm glad he can do that for you. And Liv Tyler is lovely. Um yeah. I'm gonna say Liv Tyler in this one. Hey, 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 hey. I love it. And that's that thing you do. Oh, well, maybe. Do we have any business to take care of today? So some business. Uh, Well, the thing that we wanted to first suggest to you is that uh, we would like you to write to us. And uh, we got a comment on an Instagram post. Ah, can we call it a letter? uh, We'll call it a letter. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. So we got a comment on our episode of The Holiday. Uh, we got a, a comment from her handle is Kate Kearns Writes, which I'm guessing is her full legal name is Kate Kearns Writes. Yeah, she's like a, a Hogwarts professor where she's probably also a writer. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe. Um, or Newt maybe, Scamander is not a salamander. Well, it's like, you know how you smith, they're, they're, they're smithies. Sure, right. So, so maybe she does like copy writing. The writes. Or, the writes. Or, no, she's... Her, she writes romance novels. What? There you go. Somebody in our genre. Uh, What's up, Kate Kearns? Uh, specific, this is her on her bio, specifically The Last Big Fake, out April 2021 from Burrow Pub GRP, Burrow's Pub GRP at Sondra and Spark, co-founder and marketing director. Okay, there you hey, go. Hey, slow that, slow that down and find her. Yeah, Kate Kearns writes. Anyways, her comment, which I thought was very, very astute. She said, okay, gents. While I love this episode, I can't let the Meg Ryan Sleepless in Seattle slander slide. Sleepless uh, in Seattle slander slide. So that's when um, you, I think you might have called her pathetic. I called her pathetic. At one point in time. Um, and I tried to clarify, but I, I just very quickly generalized her as a pathetic character. I don't know if we could clarify enough. Um, like, Meg Ryan fans run, run strong, and so I think we would have had to spend some time covering that base. Yeah, so... And she says, Annie isn't ditzy slash crazy slash pathetic. She's the absent-minded professor archetype. Smart, scatterbrained about practicalities, obsessive about her interests, and beloved by people who get her. 
She pushes the envelope. In real life, it would be stalking in her romantic pursuit, but that's an envelope male romantic leads push all the time, especially in older movies. I think we tend to have a narrow version of what smart and proactive are supposed to look like for female characters compared to the broader range we give male characters. Hell yeah. Great comment. Completely uh, agree. Uh, also, just should remind me, don't make sweeping general generalizations like like that. I try. <laughs> I try with my eyes. <laughs> no, but like that's the thing about doing a podcast is oftentimes Ryan and I both are fools and love talking at the same time. And so, you know, we're going to make sweeping generalizations and it's just not what we want to do. It's just when our brain doesn't keep up with our mouth sometimes. But I think she makes a great point and I, I, I brought up, I replied and said, you know, that's totally true because with Lloyd Dobler stalking his girlfriend with Peter Gabriel and this big stereo that John Cusack holds sure. up, uh, that's pretty stalkerish and it's pretty a, a akin to what Meg Ryan does and she just flies to Seattle once. Sure. Um, uh, granted, that, that movie has been getting a lot of attention in the last like 10 years where people are like uh this is not that right. cool are, are there any others that you can think of that are overlooked male things but are overlooked male like bridging on on stocking type deals yeah um it can feel much for richard curtis characters like i don't think anyone stalks in love actually but i'm thinking of colin firth uh, Hugh Grant, they're chasing their ladies, but like Hugh Grant is Colin. using Hugh Grant is using the power of the presidency, or not the presidency, but the prime minister to track down. Sure, her. it's yeah, not that yeah, hard because she was an employee. She so literally like, told him what part of the city that she lives in. But, but still, still, it's it's a it, there's a little bit of that, and he's using his power to do it. But at the same time, I'm letting Meg Ryan get away with this. Right, so right, I, right, I, right. I made that explicitly clear. Right, so yeah. But no, you're right. There, there. But there are like, um, like if you even take Colin Firth's character in that film, and he goes all the way to Portugal, right? Yeah. To go, and we don't think twice about it. We think, oh, romantic. Well, here's like he he basically figures out where she is, goes down there, um, offers love, and it's. But I would say that that one's a little bit more. Co it's weird. I'm not going to say it's not weird, but it's a little bit more kosher because she knows who he is and they almost had a romantic thing happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not the perfect thing to do in a normal everyday society. It works in a rom-com, but it's also not flying across the country to meet somebody that you've just heard on the radio. Right. Which I'm already excusing, so I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm just saying it's there There are degrees of creepy in following somebody or, like, stalking somebody. I wouldn't even call it stalking, just showing up unannounced, which yeah. is the name of the game in this show. Because he learns Portuguese for her. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and just, she learns English, so you know it was reciprocated. But, but if we saw it and, and the shoe was on the other foot, I think I would think twice about it, and I feel kind of uh, shameful to think, like, if we saw a female character like learning a different language, like if Carl in Love Actually didn't speak English and uh -huh. Laura Lenny was just learning Spanish to just talk to him, I would think there's like a billion other guys like get over it, lady. And I'm just like, why would I think that? Why can't I don't know. why can't another character do this? So well said, Kate Kearns writes. Well said. <laughs> um, and if you want to say anything to us, like. 
We we talked about a movie today that is beloved, and we did nothing but love it. But if there was something that we missed, um, I mean, we can't fit everything into two hours, so let us know. And yeah. how will they let us know? Oh, they'll <laughs> they'll let us know you by... Can, you can call us, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, call Rom-Com Gents. Is that nine Rom-Com Gents? Nope. Call Isn't Rom-Com it? Gent. Oh, rom-Com Gent. Don't call rom-com. Gents I don't know who that's going to that dial. Um, send us an email though at romcomgents at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. You can find us uh, just like Kate Kearns, the rights did on Instagram <laughs> at romcomgents. Same thing on Facebook. Uh, yeah. Just let us know. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you love us uh, and you can let us know that you love us on, <laughs> on, uh, overcast stitcher. Oh, right. Uh, Apple podcasts, pocket casts, a podcast Attic. Which, <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, we actually got another uh, review on Podcast Attic from uh, your friend Darcy. Oh, Darcy. Thank yeah. you for the review, Darcy. Thank you, Darcy. So yeah, hit us up anywhere, anywhere you like, uh, except our homes. <laughs> Please don't hit us. Uh, all right, well, we got to figure out what we're watching next week. What are we going to watch? All right, give me... All right, give me a number. Between what and what? Oh, one and whatever number you think. 178. 150. Oh, oh, this will be interesting. We're going to watch her. Oh, which I remember we were split on when it first came out in the first place. Yeah, I liked it and you thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. My thesis then was kind of weird that he falls in love with a robot voice, not even a real person. Um, If you're on YouTube at all these days, I don't know if you're getting any of these ads, but there's a lot of like... um this person can be your friend now because we're in a pandemic and maybe you've been alone this whole like time. Like a virtual assistant? But... Like like a virtual uh, like partner, yeah. A friend. So I think you know it's well on your way. It might be a prescient thing to talk about. Indeed. Um, all right, your job next time is to do contact one of these companies and get a virtual friend mm-hmm. t- and like update us. Bring the virtual friend to the podcast. Oh. Yeah, we can do that. I mean, you're only going to be dating them for a week, so... Sarah's in for it. This is like the third podcast in a row where we've brought up you, Sarah, and somebody else. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that later. Let's say. We'll talk about that in therapy. Okay. Ryan, wait. This is the new year. Most people are listening to this in the new year. Is uh, there something we want to say? Welcome to the year that beat 2020 because 2021. Oh, wait. No, 2020 is the year that beat the other year because 2021. Is that like a seven? Do you get what nine? I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I I don't know math very well. (laughs) That's what I had to say. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for sticking it out with us, everybody. I hope we brought a little bit of light into your life. And just like um, Tom Hanks brought a little light into ours. Hey, I just wanted to tell you, Kelly, that you are the star of all my only dreams. Ooh, nice. Ryan, I want you to dance with me. You got to do the harmony tonight. No. Are you singing Rent? <laughs> so, well, that's I suddenly got some Rosario Dawson in there. <laughs> All right, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> that was so good. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. 
to see you next week on a gentleman's guide. To rom-coms. You doing that thing.